0: Good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Right on Track podcast episode...
1: What is it? 48.
0: 48? My goodness, it's 48. been a while. You've
1: been away for too long.
0: <laughs> I have, I have. You're listening to my dosa voice yet again. This is the Right on Track podcast. My name is Tom Denham, but never fear, I'm never joined alone. To uh, my left-hand side, I have...
1: Hello there, I am Connor Jonas,
2: and to the right of Tom Denham, you've got the other Tom. Tom Parry, yes, hello all, it's good to have the original Gang of Three back together, the three Musketeers.
0: Uh, It's been a while, I apologise that I've been absent, but like anything, it's always good to be back. Oh yeah, always, always. Ah, oh, Thank you, thank you. It, it's always good to be here, and it's always great when we have another voice with us. You've got four people for four episodes of Thomas and Tank Engine and Friends. Before we reveal our special guests, Parry, which episodes are we reviewing today?
2: Well, in today's episode of the Right on Track podcast, you can expect to hear us talking about four classic stories. They're always classic, <laughs> if they're the model series. And they are Jack Frost, Gordon Takes a Tumble, Percy's Chocolate Crunch, and Buffer Bother.
1: All of them are very memorable stories as well. Series 6 in
0: general is just memorable, I reckon. Mm. But Connor, would you uh, be able to give us some light on who is this fourth person joining us today?
1: So uh, we we, we have been honoured and enlightened to have a very special guest host with us today. Uh, you may know them around the fandom because they are in charge of a very special project. It is Brennan Cardi. Hello, Cardi. Welcome to the Right on Track Podcast.
3: Hello, hello, good evening, good morning. Uh I am the American here and it is late for me. Um Thank you for all having me on here at, at these weird hours. Um it's it's a pleasure, really.
0: Let's let's start off at the beginning, which is what we do with uh every guest that we have here on the podcast. Cardi. You're on here because you're a fan of Thomas. We're fans of Thomas. Where was the beginning of your journey by rail for you?
3: Uh, I had a particular tape. It was the sing-along and stories tape. And my mom put it on. And there's video footage of this too. And I I watched it recently. It was beautiful. I'm just sitting there mesmerized by the Island of Sodor song. Um, And like, I'm just hooked. You know, I'm sitting there sucking my thumb, just staring at it. Not sure what I'm watching, but I know that it's working for me. Uh, and so from there on, I remember my mom giving me like the Rusty to the Rescue tape, and then going to see the Magic Railroad film, and it, it was just always there as a child. Like it was never something that I was not part of me. And for better or for worse, uh, it stuck with me like a disease in, in the best way possible. Yes, and and we often find that
1: a lot of these stories take place where. It was something that was there right at the start of the childhood, but another pattern that we've noticed is often in the early teen years. Uh, sometimes people seem to drift away from Thomas before they return back to it. Did you find that occurred with you?
3: Mine happened, but in my early twenties, I I dropped it a few <laughs> years ago. I, I was a late bloomer in, in, in that in that regard. I dropped it uh, to kind of focus on college and get hammered you know ever on the weekends and stuff like that but then i realized i didn't enjoy doing that so instead (laughs) i for the last half of my college years i spent time watching thomas the tank engine i realized this is much more fun than going to a frat party
0: i gotta ask what was it like were there any particular elements of that i guess kind of love that you manifested that really beckoned the call back for you
3: um it was it's it all sort of is personified in, in the cranky bugs episode, you know, just one day you're sitting there and you're like, "Ah, maybe I should just give this one more shot. You know, it's, I've got all this Thomas stuff in my house and, you know, I can't really escape it. Let's, let's entertain the idea for a second. I watch cranky bugs and then it's like, Oh my God, I remember exactly why I love this. You know, it's, it's, it's the music, it's the narration, it's, it's, it's the sound effects. It's, it's everything about that episode. It was just beautiful. And that's, that's sort of what reinvigorated the, uh, the spark. And Brandon, I mean, sorry, do you go with Brandon or Carty? So I, I go by Cardi, and now it's great. Cause I can just say I'm Carty B and people understand perfectly. <laughs> what is. I love that. <laughs> hmm, uh, yeah.
2: So I should mention everybody. I'm only just getting familiar with Brandon Carty because the other two have known him for months, if not years. And here I am just meeting him for the first time. So Carty, we'll get into obviously more of the Thomas fandom in the moment but i wanted to know how and when did you discover there was this huge worldwide thomas fandom and
3: why what inspired you to chase after it well so my parents did something really wise and did not monitor my internet access <laughs> and so <laughs> i got i got exposed to the internet at a very young age and i was on youtube Um, just YouTube had literally been out for maybe a few months at that and there were Thomas videos already like it was already happening and I was like what and somehow I I don't know how I got down this route but I found this website called tv.com which which was an online forum where you could discuss you know tv shows and there was a Thomas the Tank Engine section and here I am being you know (laughs) seven or eight years old going like oh that episode was really cool Duncan's my favorite character blah 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 blah. blah. and then you realize like these people are a little older than me and it's like wait a minute these aren't kids these are adults that are talking about Thomas and being the kid I was like I look up to these guys already I want to join in on this and then you know you, you join the other forums YouTube grows and it's you just sort of cement yourself in this I hate to use the word unlikely, but it it was such an unlikely thing. You know, you you get cemented in the fandom because it. it, you just, I don't know. It it was like the moon aligned perfectly. And then here Mm. I am 14 Mm. years later. Yeah. Um, And we have some very sad news.
2: Of course, tv.com was taken off the internet only four months ago. Mm. So um, yeah, it it was around for quite a while. And it was the big thing back in the day. I remember, Carty. everyone used to go on TV.com and talk about television. But, of course, now with social media and all that's kind of fallen by the wayside. Mm.
1: In, in the very early dot-com years of the internet, when it was a wild wasteland.
2: Yes. Whatever yes, could indeed.
1: occur. Uh, now, Carty, you, you mentioned the episode Cranky Bugs, and I believe you mentioned that Duncan was your favourite character. Have you got any other favourite characters or favourite episodes?
3: Yeah, so... Duncan, I, I do love Duncan because he, he's such a he's, a he's such a jerk. And I, I love that about <laughs> characters. He's he's such a such a jerk to everybody. Um but my favorite character is, is actually Diesel Ten. Um oh. because he was so scary and he was so new and you know the magic road promotion is beautiful. In terms of other favorite episodes, one of them, and I'm I'm really glad this is part of the discussion, is Percy's Chocolate Crunch. <laughs> that. that's I, I don't know what it is. I'm not the biggest Series 6 fan, but that episode is just so wholesome and it, it's, it got the Thomas formula right, to me at least.
0: And I got to touch on it whilst we're freshly talking about Magic Railroad. You're quite, I, I don't know, Parry and Connor seem to give me a lot of beef about the fact that I uh, romanticized Thomas and the Magic Railroad. Um, and you hold quite a strong love for it as well, don't you?
3: I do. It is i can say this shamefully but it is one of my favorite movies
0: (laughs) and i've one more request for you uh before we launch into the conversation could i please get you to say the funny meme (laughs) don't do it okay
3: okay i this is the greatest day of my life tom thank you (laughs) i showed my
0: friend your thomas the tank channel
2: yes Thank you.
1: Thank you.
0: You've made me a very happy man. And with that, we're going to launch into our first episode that we're discussing on the podcast today. Connor, what is that episode?
1: You cold hearted people. Well, <laughs> on the topic of cold, we're going to be moving on to a freezing cold episode called Jack Frost, where James and Percy have been given a special job this
4: winter, winter's day. That evening, the Fat Controller came to the shed. There's a big freeze coming tonight, he said. James and Percy are to deliver extra coal to the stations. Yes, sir, they said eagerly, and the Fat Controller drove away. You'd better hurry, teased Thomas, or scary Jack Frost might get you. Who's Jack Frost? Percy whistled nervously. Don't be silly, sniffed James. Jack Frost is not scary. Yes, he is, teased Thomas. He's all white with a big spiky face. Rubbish, said James. James knew Jack Frost wasn't scary, but poor Percy wasn't so sure. There we have it. Jack Frost, Mm. series six,
0: episode, forgive my bad memory.
1: Is, is this a cue for me to bring up the fact? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Jack Frost, story by David Mitten, written by Paul Larson, uh, of course, in series six, uh, is the 16th episode of the series. And it takes mm. place on the blustery cold winter's season on Sodal, which, frankly, looks so much better the last time that we saw Sodor in such a snow state, which was in Series 5 Snow. I I remember I noted in Series 5 Snow how I hated the look of the snow, but here it's looking that touch better there. It's got so much detail and it's got such amazing things about uh, the detail of this, such as right in the opening B-roll, they've got my favourite shot of the episode of The Fog Upon the
2: Lake by the Watermill. Oh, gosh, yes. Oh, it's mm.
1: it's crisp. Crisp as ice, I say.
2: Hmm. Connor, I have to pull you up on a the fact there because uh, we did cover a snow-laden episode only a couple of podcast episodes back. I'm scratching my head to remember which one. It's only snow. It's in the title. Yes.
0: <laughs> Is it that yes. forgettable? <laughs> It was
1: one of my favourite ones as well, growing up. Dagnabbit.
0: Well, these past
2: three weeks have not been kind to you, have they?
1: No, (laughs) no, they haven't. It's been raining and horrible here. It's a bit wintry, despite we're going to summer. But Hmm. the story of uh, Jack Frost takes place on a very, very simple premise that you heard in the clip. Hmm. Thomas has teased Percy and Sort of, James, about scary Jack Frost whilst they're delivering their coal to all the stations. And whilst they're out and about the stations, Percy gives up the rest of his coal to the greedy Lower Sutter East station master. <laughs> and then he waits in the siding overnight where he just gets covered in icicles and frost. James goes by, thinks he's Jack Frost and gets very scared.
2: I want to point out something else there because the station master says that we'll need twice as much coal to last through this freeze and Percy's just got this tiny bunker. I mean, I don't think that extra little bit of coal is really going to help them all that much.
0: You never know. Every bit goes a long way.
2: And
1: and Mm. and you don't know how full that coal truck was. It looked pretty full to me. Hmm. The, 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 The one detail, I mentioned greedy station master. He is greedy because, like, first of all, Wonderful job to Percy for for giving up this coal. Good, mm-hmm. good, good engine there. Very but noble of him. All this coal would have been organised beforehand.
0: Yeah, so he would have got that mm-hmm. last truck in the first place.
1: Yeah, and, and and him asking for more is 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 just greedy.
0: My oh, headcanon theory is simply that uh, the station masters change shifts because you wouldn't have the one station master do a twenty four hour shift. Across the whole day, second station master came in, wasn't briefed correctly on what was going on, and asked, "Oh, can I have this one?" And he's like, "You don't worry, you're getting it already."
1: Okay, okay. But br- brief note on lower Suttery though. This is the last appearance of it. Oh <gasps>
2: no! Oh, that's sad. Yeah,
1: yeah. Saw it all the way back in series one, and this is the last time we ever see it.
2: Hmm. Well. Anyway, moving on. Uh, yes. <laughs> so after Percy gets parked in a siding, he's left alone with only a lantern for company, and then the snow sets in. Actually, it's not really snow. It's more this really fierce blizzard. And that results in persil, pers- persil? Percy Percil, Percil, Percy! Percival!
0: <laughs> not for it a few seasons.
2: It results in Percy being covered from cab to nose in icicles.
0: Mm. Quite frosty. Yes.
2: Yep. That's it. And that's where the Jack Frost bit comes in. Yes. Sort of, in a way ish. <laughs> Scary Jack Frost. Yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. Now, growing up, whilst I am not afraid of Jack Frost, the, the there's something very uncanny valley about the look of Percy there with. All the spikes of the icicles going off him, and I can genuinely see how that was scary. And it, it it's it's not a scary episode, but it mm. does have that scary Jack Frost in it. I think that mm. I think the thing that
0: really did it, that I think sold it, was the lighting of Percy in this scene.
2: Yes, yes, definitely.
0: They did something that mm, hit with definitely that
2: lantern glowing underneath his face. Yeah, that really. You know, it's like putting a torch underneath your chin. It really freaks people out.
0: Yeah, I do that all the time. I don't know why people run away. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. You just got, you've just like taped it to just under your chest, shining upwards the whole time.
0: Yeah, it's just always there. Anyway. Anyways,
1: yeah, yeah, just just can't take it off. Now, I, I would like to say Jack Frost is a real term. Much like how you had the gremlins uh, from Donald in Douglas in Person in Haunted Mine, mm. the mythos mentioned here is based in reality because, of course, Jack Frost is a real European mythological figure uh, who's a personification of snow, ice, and the freezing cold—a variant of the old man of the old man winter, which can be traced all the way back to ancient Greek and old world pagan. Beliefs and mythologies, uh, specifically the ancient Greek god of Boreas, the Norse god of Ulz and the Celtic goddess uh, Kaliach and Beira.
0: You've really
2: gone above and beyond with your research here. I mean, that's just. And furthermore, I've I've researched
1: how to pronounce these things. I'm getting better. I'm getting better.
0: Did you know, though?
2: Well done, you.
0: I've got one up on you. He's also the arch nemesis of Mr. Plough.
2: Oh
0: no! <laughs> uh, and he's also a detective
2: on. <laughs> on TV. He is.
0: <laughs> so anyway, so,
1: so before we throw any more references out there, <laughs> what I feel this episode really excels in, though, and carty I feel you'll be able to agree with me here, is that um is the beautiful shots and just filmmaking for the production of this entire episode
3: oh yeah yeah the, the, the ambience especially in the nighttime scenes is really really good so it's like you said having the warm light on percy's face having it be very dimly lit um and the, just the scene of percy melting away from, you know all, all the ice melting off I, I don't know why i find that really amusing it's, he, he, it's the simplest he, thing and it's done so well it's satisfying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's also just a great aesthetic choice, having James go through the night, like this bright red little train going through a, a yeah. white snowstorm. As- aesthetically speaking, very nice.
1: There- there's specifically one shot of James that I love, and it is as soon as we see Percy in another haunted forest, uh, it jumps to a shot of James uh, mid-shot, high up on a hill, looking down into a valley, And when I see that shot of James pulling the coal trucks through the snow in the valley, I'm instantly reminded of Series Two, one of my favorite shots as well. Mm,
3: Okay, Mm. like
1: I get ghost train vibes from it. Yes, yeah, specifically because Series Two had the massive valley in it. But I feel this episode it excels in its shots yet the whole thing feels very, very early classic series. Like, I could see this story being put into series two or three, mm. let alone series six
2: now. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean, it a lot coming from it. I mean, the Angelus narration, as we heard in the clip there, is just excellent. Again, peak Angelus, wow. s- series six. The music as well, I think, as Cardi was saying, it really helps to set up that... Ambiance and really set the mood the spooky mood if you will and I especially love when James comes across Jack Frost and there's the harp strings playing you know it sounds like someone's got their hand running back and forth against the harp that's yeah just beautiful
0: and uh we gotta ask you Cardi as well you're probably more familiar with the Baldwin narration um, are there any particular notes or beats that you reckon hit particularly well or kind of sit a bit differently for you?
3: Um,
1: yeah.
3: Alec Baldwin in season six is is a, is a real mixed bag. And in this episode, it's kind of lackluster. Um, namely, the scary Jack Frost.
4: <laughs> yeah.
3: It just, it doesn't work. Um, yeah. Now, keep in mind, like, obviously I grew up with, with Alec Baldwin. I really had no idea who Angelus was for a long time. But when I do watch season six, I have to watch it with, with Angelus. It's the only way to do it. And in this episode, it, it's like you guys say, it really is the peak of Angelus here. Not not in season seven, but season six, he is just so on it mm. in terms of yeah. delivery and like timing.
0: And mm. energy. Episode.
3: Oh mm. my God, yeah. It, this episode is a perfect I- example of that.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I now- feel like, yeah, th- there's, th- there's a lot of particular things I love about this um, story. In a sense that um, some of my favorite shots, I think, are, are those beautiful night shots, and it almost kind of feels like an extension of episodes like um, Stephanie gets lost and Oliver's fine, where we have those um, nighttime shots in the forest, or like um, Haunted Henry, where we have those nighttime shots, but we kind of get this combination of the snow episodes and the um, the spooky episodes, and that's something I think in my like childhood mind i really wanted like i i i didn't know that i wanted it until i saw it and i think having those two worlds cross pollinate with one another was really lovely
1: mm. one thing i really do appreciate with this episode though is how james and percy both seem to lose if that makes mm. sense but the because only he
2: person get... who wins in this is thomas
1: yeah really <laughs> but because uh, James, of course, has been scared by Percy's scary Jack Frost. Mm. But then Percy has been covered in freezing cold overnight all by himself, literally frozen to the core. Cool. Uh, but it still has the happy ending. And it it feels it's got a humble ending where, yep, we've both lost. Bravo. Mm. Have I don't know why James is whistling at the end happily
2: because he realised what the joke is? I don't know. His driver was
0: whistle-happy.
1: Fair. As the ending goes, Percy's arrived back at Tidmouth Sheds. James is talking about how he saw scary Jack Frost last night and he even knows his name. Mm. And Percy chimes in going, and he also knows that you ran away. Then everyone laughs and blows their whistles, including James. In any other story, if that were to occur, James would be... Annoyed that he's been called out.
2: Mm, he would. It's very. It seems very out of character for him to be like, "Oh, oh, good one." Yes, Oh, I yeah, see it. Now, it's probably like the uh, lack, of be... oh. yeah, la- lack of sleep.
1: Ah, yeah, get lack of sleep. It's kind of like,
0: good. "Oh yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to argue this one."
1: <laughs> yeah, possibly.
0: Shall we go? So to So I ratings? think
2: it's time for yeah the ratings <laughs> for this particular story, and I'll lead because I'm keen. Uh, let's settle on an 8 out of 10. It's got a great set design. Of course, the snowy settings are just beautiful, as always. Great music, great narration, and it's a a really fun story. So, Connor, what are your thoughts?
1: I can only echo everything you've said. Again, an 8 for me. It's got beautiful sets, lighting, music, and it's so reminiscent of the early series with a lot of the shots and narration that I just can't help but love from it. So, yeah, eight from me.
0: Denim. Well, Connor, I think... Um, <laughs> I don't know why I did that. Um, I think it's a seven from me. Like, it, it, it's it's very, very lovely in the sense that there's a lot of different kind of subtle nuances going on. Um, but... At the same time, like it's not an episode that I jump to in a heartbeat to watch straight away. But whenever I come back to it, like I still have a good time with it.
3: And that only leaves you, Carty. I mm. I I don't wanna be a buzzkill, but I, I I wanna give it a six out of ten. That that's mm. fair. W- I would justify. Five. But hold on, Connor. If we did something like that, you'd be
2: at our throats. I mean, what is this new personality you've suddenly co-opted? <laughs> He's maturing. I, I'm, I'm.
3: I'm. I'm getting on the nice side of Carti. You know, Carti, <laughs> justify. I. There, there are a lot of great winter episodes. You know, from from one from one to five. Uh, season six's winter episodes never hit hit it right for me, um, despite like the cool visuals and the great music. There there are some inconsistencies like James sort of being in on the joke at the end because you know he would never he would never admit defeat like that and it's just I, I'm I, when you factor in like the poor dubbing on Alec Baldwin's behalf it just sort of comes out as a lackluster ish episode for, for me but that that's that's just me
0: no that's, that's fair. fair that's fair justified as you did so
1: so w- 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 whilst uh, parry Denim and I we've all sort of ranked it quite high your scores sort of taken a tumble which leads us oh to our God. next episode <laughs> gordon takes a tumble where Jeez. there's been a fair amount you see this is what i do fair amount of work backed up at the docks and so topham hat needs some engines to very quickly clear all the goods
4: that evening Fog covered the island of Sodor. Everything slowed down, and soon the docks were packed with waiting trucks. This caused confusion and delay. The fat controller came to the sheds. He was in a great hurry. Henry, Thomas, and Percy, he said, you must go to the docks immediately. Yes, sir, they whistled. Then, the fat controller turned to the big blue engine. You too, Gordon, he said. I need a big engine to take the trucks where they won't be in the way. Trucks, huffed Gordon. He could not believe what he had heard.
2: We did mention before when talking about Jack Frost how it felt like a early Thomas story, and I th- I'm getting that same vibe here from this clip because, of course, Gordon, in the very early stories couldn't stand trucks he was very much a coach's engine he wouldn't have anything to do with goods trains and now we're seeing history repeat itself here
1: yes yes that's so true and that's even echoed at the very very start of the episode which begins with all the engines talking about what they do and then it talks about how salty is teasing gordon about Not pulling trucks.
2: Mm. Mmm. Yes.
0: So in this episode, um, as as we mentioned, uh, Gordon gives Salty some beef, and uh, Salty gives Gordon some beef back. Um, And Gordon is, uh, happened upon a good strain that he has to pull through the night. He ends up going down a branch line, which he shouldn't go down. And as the title suggests, he takes a tumble.
1: Yes. yes. (laughs) That's that's exactly right. Not only does he take a tumble, but he takes a tumble, a roll, a hit, a roll, a smash, a hit, a roll, a crash, and a bash. Is this Gordon's
0: biggest accident-like period?
2: It is. it, It is not only one of Gordon's biggest accidents, it is one of the most spectacular crashes of any engine in the history of the program. I would argue that it is the most
1: exaggerated and glorified accident because... The narration simply goes, you know, oh, Gordon fell off the line, and then it's just purely the sound and the visuals, where you see Gordon see a pile of hay hit, pile of old tires hit, losing his tender through a barn door, through the other side, crashing into a field
2: in front of a shrugging scarecrow. How it
0: much? is <laughs> How much involvement did David Miller have in this episode?
2: I would say quite a lot. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) it doesn't surprise me. what we've heard from our guests on the podcast, he would have had quite a large say in this crash. (laughs) Yes. Yes, however, not as many explosions. No, that's true, actually.
0: Yeah, it feels like, uh, I don't know what happened between like series five and six, but I don't know, someone probably said, no more. And I went, oh, okay. And then snuck things in there. No no fire. Yeah. (laughs) No fire.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No more gunpowder. Uh,
1: But yes, it's... This story is weird because it full If you were to describe it, it's simply... Gordon doesn't like taking trucks. He takes trucks. He has an accident. He's been taken down a few notches. Mm. And although he isn't as dingy fried as he is before. (laughs) Dignified! (laughs) But, But it's a very simple story. However... So, it's a very simple story, however, it is done so well.
0: It's a very mm. visual story, I reckon.
1: Yes. Yeah. Very visual would be the way to describe it. Especially with the shots at night,
2: both at Tidmouth and especially at the docks. Mm. C- can we just address the elephants in the room quickly before we move on?
0: Hey, are you calling me fat? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: uh, um... Not you directly. Uh, I'm referring to, of course, the person who is responsible for this accident. And it's not Gordon. Connor? Well, 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 Gordon is partially responsible. He chose to ignore the go slow sign. But
1: he he shouldn't
2: have been on that line in the first place. He wouldn't have had to go slow if he hadn't have been diverted by... The signalman. Ah, here we go.
1: The, Back to his old tricks. The infamous return in disgrace Mess. of Sodor's most reluctant
2: and incompetent workers. Well, 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 well this one is particularly incompetent because he's just sitting down having a cup of tea and then he hears the train goes past and then it goes, oh, no, I've sent him down the wrong line. Then well, it's the other not Sigmund's job. job?
3: <laughs> yeah,
2: is, it, it's,
0: they're very like, sleep deprived could- people.
1: you could, like, like, not only could you blame this signalman, but you could blame the signalman previously down the line, because Denim, you, you should be able to echo this here a lot of the time, when signalmen are talking about the blocks and where the engines are going they will call up the one down the line and go, are you ready to receive this engine?
0: What engine?
1: Exactly and then they'll go and crash yeah, so
0: Another day on the arm
4: either... of the Sodor.
1: <laughs> either they're unable to communicate or they're just not communicating at all, which is mm. horrid for this profession.
2: It's
0: every signal for himself.
2: Maybe are having a beef. Maybe that's what's going on. Yeah. I am not on speaking terms with you, Jerry. <laughs>
0: he doesn't uh, even go here. I just
2: did a hair flip then, and of course you couldn't see it, listeners, but yeah, it was spectacular. Thank you, thank you. Mm um
0: cardi do you have I... any I
3: was,
0: I was gonna say cardi do you have any remarks or thoughts about this particular story
3: i think i would have paid a lot of money to have just seen the engines work a night shift at the docks oh yes yeah yeah that the, that's the way that they shoot that is so nice it, um, it... I don't know this is such like the fog imagine salty Thomas and Gordon just like going crazy for, for like a night at, at the docks. Mm. Perfect mm. episode material. There's specifically
1: one shot that feels very serious true to me. And that is when you just see Gordon's tender and then his train slowly being shunted up behind mm. him. Oh yes. And, and, and normally in the show, uh, at this point definitely, the engines just back onto their trains and you very rarely see the trains being shunted up to them.
2: Mm.
1: And and having that done here with, as you said, uh, the mist Carti, is brilliant. It is amazing. But I do have a major issue with this episode, though, and that is mm. the ending.
2: Oh, oh yeah, it's a similar thing with Jack Frost, isn't it? How Gordon is just like, oh, well, I messed up.
4: Yeah, Silly not,
2: me.
1: Not only is it, you know, messed up and then again everyone whistles Mm. but as gordon is there with the passenger train again thomas it's a very forced thomas entry i feel with him going the moral everyone makes mistakes sometimes or everyone has accidents Mm. like salty would have been so much better in that role there considering how most of that story revolved around an argument between Gordon and Salty. Mm, You're quite right. However, on the inverse note though, I do like Salty not being there for the fact that it's James saying Salty says he's sorry. Because that feels very realistic, especially in a professional environment where people are going backwards and forwards all the time. Hmm. But then again, James wasn't even involved in the story at all until that point. So it, the ending's got a very weird question mark around it.
0: Mm. It does feel like a bit of a a common theme in Series 6 episodes that we do have these endings that don't feel completely resolute.
1: Exactly, mm. yeah. They're, they're, they're more so endings to... Just make sure everyone's happy and the end.
0: It's kind of like, mm-hmm. Oh, I guess we'll all we'll, we'll hear then and shrug and then there's a the sitcom laughter and then it ends. Yeah.
2: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It has me pining for the Audrey stories where, you know, something went wrong or someone was at fault. It, it just left it there. Like Domeless yeah. Engines, for instance, you know, never trust domeless engines, they aren't respectable. And then it just ends. Like <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes
0: those well, are some of the get- best endings, I reckon.
1: episodes Mm. such as percy takes the plunge where it ends with percy being carted away to the works yes yeah yeah um i i do have a detail uh about uh this episode here though and that is is one of the six episodes re-narrated uh by both Michelangelo and alec baldwin uh and then
2: also recomposed with music by Robert Hartston. Oh, God.
0: Oh, no. Uh,
2: hold on. So so it was re-narrated and recomposed. How I haven't heard this. How does that work? So
1: um, the basic detail of it all is that I believe come a re-release, a bunch of episodes were re-released a few years later. Mm-hmm. And what happened was that they got... Ah, sorry, not Alec Baldwin. Michael Brandon okay uh, and Michelangelo re-narrated these episodes. And then, uh, because at this time everything was on separate tracks, unlike in the early days when the narration and the music was sort of all merged into one, Mm -hmm. at this point narration was on one track, sound effects on another, and music on its own. Mhm. And they got Robert Hartstone to recompose a bunch of music in the episode or at least just threw Robert Hartstone's music in instead. Hmm. Hmm. One of well, one of only six episodes in the sixth series that had that done to it.
2: Hmm,
3: okay. Are we sure that George Lucas didn't produce season 6? <laughs> I, I would like to think there's just a whole archive of Michael Brandon series six out there, and I hope someone destroys it one day. That is, oh. that is a thing that should not exist. Let's
0: hold up a lighter to it. As it's slowly disintegrating. Okay,
1: okay. I I don't like encouraging destruction of property with fire. Okay. As my parents say when they talk about me, that's Arson.
2: Oh. <laughs> uh, uh. I, I think this is an opportune time to come to the scores, don't we all think? Yeah. I, I believe so as well, and okay. because I'm on fire with these puns today,
1: uh, I'm going to start. <sighs> and and I, I'll go. I love, like I, I've, I've loved the shots in Jack Frost, and I really love the early shots in this episode, especially mm. the late night ones and the discussion with Salty at the docks. It is. Brilliant. I feel the visuals take a little bit of a drop once we see Gordon on the line in the day with his goods. Mm-hmm. However, that, that that's made up for with one of the most spectacular crashes in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to give
2: it a 7.5. Um I'm leaning towards your score, Connor, but I'm going to give it slightly less. I'm gunning for a 7 out of 10 because everything is essentially framed around the crash and the crash is spectacular, but everything else is kind of ordinary. So, mm. yeah, 7 out of 10.
0: Yeah, ben. I think this... I... I yeah. I, I like... I, I, I enjoy it when I watch it, but I'm left always feeling quite moorish with some Series Mm. 6 episodes, and this one in particular, I think the ending is, like, with a second rewrite, could have been better, and Cardi, I love what you said about having, like, a whole nighttime aesthetic episode, um, kind of like what we have with Jack Frost, but at the docks, like, with Thomas Salty and Gordon and Henry. Like, that idea for an episode, I think, excites me more, but I think, like, I don't know, it it feels like there's a lot of... pandemonium visual stimulus, but not enough, um, I guess, meaty dialogue. And I think sometimes one of the things I love about these episodes is the narration and the storytelling and the dialogue. And I think that's always, like, has been one of the big factors of a good Thomas story. And I think that spark of magic isn't quite there. However, the visuals kind of hold up. So I'm leaning towards Uh. a 5
4: Okay.
2: okay now we've just got carty left carty you've listened to all our comments what is your
3: score for this story i i i want to say seven I, I think seven because of the visuals to, to me are really really great here mm-hmm. um the crash of course is you know it's, it's the crash it's beautiful yes um but the, it, it's like it's like everyone's been saying is it's kind of like going to a restaurant and eating all carbs like all bread you <laughs> know you feel full for a minute but then like an hour later you're like wait a minute i'm hungry again like you, you don't if if the ending were better i think this could easily be a 9 mm-hmm. mm. that that that's a good point that's a good point it's an excellent
2: and, analogy too a restaurant that only serves bread you know we should yeah. use that more often <laughs> we we should we really should mm. um but I'm afraid
1: we're at that time of the episode right now where we move on to our musical interlude. And this week I have chosen something that I've been bopping along to throughout the week. Uh, it is a cover by Star Tom, the tom version of Home Resonance by Earth, Wind & Fire.
0: Mmm.
2: That was Star Tom's Thomasified cover of Resonance, one of the all time great vaporwave tunes. Uh, There is actually a great Simpsons compilation of the best animated bits which also pairs that piece of music together, and that is wonderful. You should definitely check that out. But we're not here to talk about The Simpsons. We are here to talk about Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends, because of course. This is the Right On Track podcast. We've got our special guest, Brandon Carty, with us on this episode. So far, we've talked about Gordon Takes a Tumble and Jack Frost. And now we're moving on to another special story. Uh, Denim, what have we got up next?
0: we got a great episode um, coming up we're going to talk about, and one of the reasons why, Cardi, you're joining us today, it is Percy's Chocolate Crunch. And in the clip that we're going to play, Percy is having a bit of um, bit of uh, gander with the rest of the engines about why washdowns are important.
4: Percy often has the dirtiest work to do, but he likes to be clean as well as any other engine. So washdowns are important to Percy. But the Fat Controller had bad news. Due to a water shortage, he said, no engine shall have more than one washdown a day. Usefulness before cleanliness, he added, and left. Percy was upset. I get dirty, he complained. I need washdowns. Gordon only does it to feel important. I am important, Gordon sniffed. I'm an express engine. You're a pouty puffer, Percy, teased James. No, I'm not, wished Percy, and he chuffed away.
0: So as our special guest, Cardi, it would be rude not to ask you what happens in Percy's chocolate crunch.
3: So in in typical fashion, Percy just cannot catch a break anymore. He He's doing all these dirty jobs, and, and once a wash, only there's a shortage, and of course... He can't get it because the other the other engines are bigger than him and are more important. So, he goes to the coaling plant once again, trying not to get dirty. But unfortunately, uh, he encounters Harold, who also gets him even more filthy. When you think about it, like everyone's just being a total total jerk to Percy, <laughs> poor guy. Um, but yeah, so he's he's covered in dust, grime, and dirt, and everything. And so he's on his way with these trucks that he's he's going to take to um, Mr. Jolly's chocolate factory. Um, And on his way, the rails for, uh, unexplicably are covered. (laughs) What what is it? It's oil?
2: Yeah. So a leaky truck had um, dripped oil onto the track. What sort of oil? We don't know, but it's enough to, you know, obviously make Percy not stop. It would have
1: to be like olive oil or something. Something that would need to be on that siding. It was an olive oil
0: truck.
3: The olive oil railway. (laughs) It was enough for no one to notice and think, yeah, that won't be an issue later. No no big deal. (laughs) What could go wrong? And so Percy is, you know, just minding his own business, slips on the oil, and quite possibly kills people. (laughs) <laughs> this is not this is not confirmed by the way mm. uh, the, the, t- mm. the toll was never accounted for no uh, mm. so he just slides through this chocolate factory and comes out uh what, what's what what do they call him Bonbon bon Percy uh, so uh, in the uh, Michelangelo's dub it's
2: um you look good enough to eat pudding percy, chalk ice on wheels and Gordon, of course thinks it's disgraceful because that's all he can say at this point. yes
1: uh, but in the us stub instead of saying pudding percy james says bon bon
3: percy on uh, okay mm. uh so yeah percy is covered and we unfortunately sort of get the same thing again with with these series six endings where mm. everyone's back at the sheds everyone's so happy mm. um everyone whistles and then it's it's sort of this happy-go-lucky ending um and percy gets exactly what he wants finally which is a wash down and a new coat of paint. So you at least get what Percy... Wa- Percy gets what he wants, what, yes, what he yes. was after. So that's, you know, happy enough. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, he proved the point. It's that hard
2: work comes before, well, cleanliness, for want of a better phrase. Um, I'd just like to point something out as well. Gordon's character is a complete reversal of... Uh, his temperament in a series three story, The Trouble with Mud. If we all bring our minds back to that, Gordon says, I've got no time to have washdowns. downs. I'm an express engine. I don't need to be clean all the time. And now here he's saying, hold on, I need to be clean. I'm an express engine. It's like, come on, pick a side, man. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've got, that's
1: my major issue with this episode. Not necessarily Gordon, but, the entire idea of engines having washdowns, mm. uh, because as Sir Topham says, that there's been a water shortage, so they can only have one washdown a day. Mm. Now, here, uh, Parry, Denham, and I, we're all Australians. We're fine with water shortages, we're used to them in the mm. summer. However, taking more than one washdown a day for a railway engine is already excessive way back in the day the general washing of steam locomotives was done whenever it was convenient but more often than not at the end of the day's work Mm. so having them being washed two or three times throughout the day on the regular Mm. is super excessive yeah, no wonder
2: Sodor has a water shortage.
1: Yes, exactly. I, 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 I feel if they went, okay, yeah, you're not allowed to have washdowns full stop, you know, or you're not allowed to have washdowns until the water shortage is over, I would be fine with that. And then everyone can have a bit of an argument about it or everyone is a bit laissez-faire about it and it would bring Gordon back to his Series 3 character of, you know, cleanliness over function and whatnot. Mm. Except here we get the not only inaccurate facts and figures, which I, you you, you guys know that I greatly dislike that. But what, you've also really? got the reversal of Gordon's character. uh but on the note of facts and figures though i should know uh percy's chocolate crunch 18th episode of the sixth series story by david metton and written by brian truman mm.
2: there we are yes um well well i mean the again much like gordon takes a tumble i think everything is leading up to this huge accident because after all the story is called percy's chocolate crunch and it's really unfathomable in a way as to how an engine could shoot into a chocolate factory at one end and come out the other end absolutely drenched in chocolate i mean as cardi said someone probably died i mean it's it's not like you know, sugar rush or something like that, where you just have everything dumped on top of you. You know, you'd have to go through, like, machinery and all sorts of other things in order to get to the other side. Mm. Mm. A chocolate vat, you say, Denim?
0: Yeah. You'd have that in a chocolate
1: factory. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Considering that we are in the roughly 1950s, 1960s, between 40s to 60s era, you know, mass automation of products was only just starting to take over, which means that a
2: lot of the time these factories would just have plenty of workers there lined up. Mm. And also the idea that, you know, when Percy reaches the other end, he's covered in chocolate. You know, it, it's not like an a, a car manufacturing plant where you do everything on the single assembly line from beginning to end. You know, I've been to A chocolate factory, the Cadbury chocolate factory, no less. Did you get and a golden it was not ticket? One sink, no, I didn't get a golden <laughs> ticket, but I had to pay the equivalent of one in order to get in and do the tour. But <laughs> anyway, um,
0: did you survive? Yeah,
2: so when we, we did survive, yes, uh, it's. I, I'm sorry to say that Cadbury's chocolate factories are not as exciting as Willy Wonka's, but anyhow, uh, when we did the tour, basically everything was all over the place, so in level three of the Northern wing of the building, you'd have where they churn the cocoa butter. And in level two at the Eastern part, they had the packaging and all that. So yeah, it's not just a singular long assembly line of them manufacturing chocolate bars. So yeah, mm. I don't know where I was going with this, but the point is that it's kind of illogical to think that Percy would come out of the other end of a chocolate factory covered in chocolate and, and only w- chocolate with no other metal
1: or debris. Correct. But, but i i will say what this episode does it uh it, it i wouldn't say it does show don't tell because mm-hmm. it. but it does it shows the accident without showing the accident it does True. yeah you, you see percy crash into the building you see him come out the other side and in in between those two shots you just have a continuous spurt of cocoa powder through each of the windows on the chocolate factory. And that it's a very humorous way
2: to go. He's hit something there. He's hit something there. He's hit something there and there and there. It's... And of course I've got the sound effects that go along with it, like the clank and the <laughs> and all that.
1: Exactly. Exactly. The, the only way, cause they don't say luckily no one was hurt. They don't mm-hmm. say that. They're true. The only way that I feel that it makes sense to have minimal debris, minimum casualties, mm. and a maximum mess mm. would be if Percy was actually crashing through a, like, storage area. Mm. Mm. Where they have got, like, the boxes of the sugar and the materials. Because he was going to a platform anyways yes. to deliver some stuff. So, it would make sense if the storage area was near the unloading platform. hmm And that way, you would get maximum mess with
2: minimum casualties of the accident. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Very eloquently put, Connor. Makes sense. Yeah. Now, have we have have you got any other fun facts for us, Connor, or have we just about covered it all? uh, No,
1: no, no, no. I I, I do have fun facts. You know, I always have fun facts. Yes. And and and. Pedantic comments, such as, this is horrible, horrible placement for the building, because if you thought that the Series 2 lollipop stick buffers were bad, Mm. this is worse, because at the bottom of an obviously steep hill, they have got a big factory where they obviously have got very heavy goods that need to go there. Mm. Uh, It was originally going to be called Puff Puff Pastry. So he ran into a pie factory. Maybe. 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 Um, But the the one thing that I really like uh, with Series 6 is they've brought back background movement. Mm. In Mm. Series 5, whenever you saw a train move, you would see the engine. Mm -hmm. But here, much like in very early Series 1 and 2, a little bit of 3, you will just see in the background a slow-moving goods train or something. Just adds that little bit more realism. Mm. But I do have a question.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And this question has been asked thousands of times without Mm. a definitive answer. Right. In the real world, what did they coat Percy with?
0: Ah, Um. I'd say maybe like resin, potentially. A
1: thin
2: brown resin, maybe, maybe. Parry, theories? Um, That ice magic stuff that used to be really popular with kids. You know, the chocolate sauce that you'd sprinkle on top of your ice cream and it would set on top of the ice cream, and that was really cool. And forevermore, yeah. the
0: mod of Percy just smells like chocolate.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe it wasn't chocolate. Then. The, the only thing that
1: I can think of would be brown paint with like a kind of varnish over it. Oh, that's a possibility, yes. But Cartier, as this is your favorite episode, I'm going to assume you've thought about this a few times as well.
3: I I would really like to think some one of the model Makers is like, let's just melt some chocolate. Like why why do we want <laughs> why are we putting a bunch it's it's a kid's show. It's when you look at it like it's kind of shiny too. Like it looks hmm. it looks like actual chocolate. I, I hope that's not what they did though. Oh really yeah,
1: it, it it looks like actual liquid,
3: wet chocolate. And then mm. by the time he gets back to the sheds, it's, it's like caked on him and like dry. Sort of shit. But then it, then it's wet and like the the next shot, it, it's really weird. Um, mm. I don't know. Yes, I just it, but, I want the a... brown pussy face mask. That's what I want. Yeah, so
2: yeah. That, that's um a good point to make actually, because if chocolate actually fell on top of a steam engine, you know, it would set and it would go rock hard, or it would just or it would melt off. Hold on, what would it do, actually? Okay, so it's the boiler. Hold on. So it's really yep. hot. So you that stands to reason it'll probably melt away.
1: However, as the engine cools down, because obviously it's had an accident, they're going to put out fire. Mm. Eventually that chocolate would eventually start setting. Okay. Mm. Or it could be have you guys ever tried to actually cook chocolate before? Not melt it, cook it.
0: Yeah. Um, like you can
1: burn chocolate.
0: Yeah. Okay. Burn I've done
1: it
2: Mhm.
0: But, but
1: that, that that that's all my uh, theories and facts about it, which leads to only one more definitive fact to give out, and that is our rankings. <laughs>
2: oh, good one, Connor. Uh, well, let's start with Carty, actually, because this, of course, is
3: one of his favourites. So set the tone for us, Carty. Okay, I, I'm I'm going to preface this by I'm, I'm fully blinded by nostalgia, but I'm going to say a solid 10 out of 10 on this one because I love mm-hmm. this episode. It... I'm I'm not the biggest series six fan, but there is something about this episode that is just so. It it's it's not it's not you know classic Thomas. I mean, it is, but it's it's a very Mm. out there story, but it's done so well and so (laughs) crazy. Mm. Um, The crash is more is not as crazy as like Gordon takes a tumble, but I feel like this crash is more memorable because it's what you don't Mm. see. Mm.
1: Yes, yes, your imagination. Okay. So you, you, you've given it a 10. I, the accident, what you don't see is very good. I love the establishment of Percy doing all the dirty jobs very much as he was doing in series five and it was all put upon him. Mm. However, I feel that the ending, the comment of, ah, wash down coat of paint. You'll be good as new. Whilst he's happy. It's like, it, it does feel very hollow to me. So I'm going to give it a not quite a nine, not quite an 8.5. So I'm going to go 8.75. Okay. <laughs>
2: okay. All right. Uh, well then, uh, that just leaves me then and Denim. So I- I'll take the bullet. Um yeah, I mean, it's got a lot going for us, this story. It's got great narration, of course. You know, I enjoy the music and the little ditties there, the set decoration, cinematography, all the rest of it. But, yeah, as a story, it's not really one that I'd gravitate towards. So I would lean towards a 7 out of 10. Mm. Mm. Denim?
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think... There's something about this episode that, I don't know, it kind of beats to the drum in a very different rhythm from what a lot of other Series 6 episodes do. Uh, One other little subtle thing that I do love about, I guess, Series 6 in general, like, I think Duck has now become, like, the Fat Controller's service engine, who, like, is always the one (laughs) present at the turntable with the Fat Controller or doing his bidding. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of enjoy that in this season. It's kind of like a nice extension from Thomas and the Special Letter. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I am going to say nine I think this episode definitely has A lot of different things going for it We get to see a lot of uh, Different lovely sets as well And I think we get to see Percy Mm -hmm. Kind of like in um, Put Upon Percy Doing a lot of different things It kind of feels like an Almost Mm -hmm. like a soft sequel to that
2: Yeah, no, that's a good point so yeah even though we all had different scores i think we can all universally agree that it's a good story and oh yeah.
3: oh yeah
4: yeah
1: it's a good story it's a memorable story and it's a story that we can enjoy yes and it has got a very memorable accident that won't be copied again Hmm. on things being copied <laughs> harry what is the next episode
2: All right, so this is the final story we'll be covering today, and it is... What is it, actually? Buffer bother. (laughs) Buffer bother. And in this clip here, the Fat Controller is speaking to Bill, Ben and Mavis, and the three engines are soon to become two. Mm.
4: The Fat Controller had come to inspect his quarry engines. He found that Mavis and Bill were in fine working order. ''Unfortunately, Ben,'' the Fat Controller said, ''your buffers are damaged. You must report to the Engine Works immediately for a new set of buffers. Mavis, you will have to work with Bill until Ben returns.'' ''Yes, sir,'' replied Mavis, and the Fat Controller drove away. Ben was happy. ''I'm going to get new buffers,'' he gloated to Bill. ''Well, I should get new buffers too,'' Bill complained. ''We're twins, we do everything together.'' But you don't need new buffers, teased. You're only getting new buffers because you're clumsy, snorted Bill enviously. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Will you two stop being grouchy? Mavis scolded. Now, come on, Bill, we've got work to do. Oh,
1: dear. The twins are
2: back again with Trouble between themselves. Mm, that indeed. Um, I, I had to laugh a bit when I heard the beginning of that clip because when the fat controller greeted them and it had his little like brass ditty there, it, it just sounded so jarring. It's so out of place. It was just... Oh dear. So
1: for bother, last episode we we're reviewing today is the nineteenth episode of the sixth series written by ross hastings with no story by david mitten
2: oh, he wrote it all on his own well like i mean
1: you could say that mm. or you could say that the story is by brian truman because this episode has got a lot in common with the previous series six episodes that we've already
2: covered oh you are of course referring to twin trouble of donald and douglas are you not connor
1: I am. And that is the one issue I have with this episode. Um, I'll I'll mainly go in on that on the end, but be forewarned all of you that I am going to be hitting
2: this episode harsh. Okay. As you should. I'm sorry. Did did Cardi just say, as you should?
3: (laughs) I... This this one doesn't do it for me. I'm just, spoiler alert, but I'm I'm glad someone's gonna be harsh on this one.
2: Okay, oh. hey, Cardi, you and I will team up on this together. <laughs> Ooh, oh I feel a rumble <laughs> in the jungle coming on.
0: So So Buffer Buffer. Mm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, what can we say about it? Well, (laughs) we we, we can start with the fact that Bill and Ben have now been separated, and it's Bill and Mavis working in the quarry together. Now, why is Bill working in the quarry with Mavis or vice versa? Because they work in two completely different quarries, do they not?
0: Uh Uh-huh. I I, have a theory.
2: Sorry, I'm... I'm sorry we've already had this argument haven't we way way back China when we were talking China about clay pits salty secrets. are
0: closed. they were closed in yeah. series three after
2: they're, they're, they're still
1: closed yeah. yeah
0: still excavating all that landslide away yeah. it was
1: it, it was a massive landslide man like did did you see that cardboard
2: building collapse or yes yes <laughs> it was extraordinary yeah okay so let, let's move on from that bit okay so we've got Bill and Mavis working together. But all Bill can think about is Ben getting his new buffers, and as of such, he's quite distracted, to the point where he runs. Okay, if I recall, if I recall correctly, he at some point runs into a truck too hard, and then a pipe falls into his funnel, and he gets rid of it by sneezing. Yeah.
4: yeah.
1: The,
2: the, 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 this episode,
1: it has got some good bits. So it, it opens again. By going, here are the twins. You haven't heard from them in a while. So they exist. They cause trouble. They do everything together. Just like some other twins on the island. Um, Oh, Ari and Except
0: Splatter and Dodge. (laughs) Bash and Dash. Uh,
1: Annie and Clarabel. But.
0: No, it's Blister uh, 1 and Blister 2 on the Isles (laughs) Railway.
1: No. But they've been separated. And, of course... Uh, as Bill is there trying to think about anything but Ben's new buffers. He tries to think about trees, birds. It doesn't work. I can relate to that. Those are the good parts of the episode. Well, There's two of them <laughs> Yeah, not being able to think. I can't okay. think at all. Oh, right. Okay, I'm glad we cleared that up. But, yeah, he pushes a truck into a building, which causes an old pipe stuck on the ceiling... That's been thrown up there, and just hasn't come down yet. To slide down right into his funnel, and then he a choo and it just flies away. It's... Steam pressure. Like,
2: yeah, I get that was steam pressure, but it's... I'd like to know where the pipe landed once he sneezed it out. They don't address that. Yeah, they hit a workman on but the it, head. It, yeah, that's what I'm thinking happened. I I I don't
1: like that kind of slapstick comedy it, it feels almost a bit too a, a bit too immature if that makes sense i understand that this is a kid show and we're meant to have fun with it a little bit having something all of a sudden land in the funnel which is a bit like all of a sudden a pencil just being shoved into your mouth and then you sneeze it out
0: this very if, sequence if, is the inspiration for all engines go
1: you know what Uh, i would not be surprised i would not be surprised but uh as the episode continues bill is continuously being distracted by the trucks who just keep on singing and eventually he goes i may not have new buffers but i know how to biff a truck and he just runs backwards very fast hits a truck and falls down into a ditch hmm yeah just like that
2: other story.
0: Do these two episodes six. have, like, any... Like, other than, like, the events that occurred, do they have any commonalities?
2: Well, well, um, I mean, yeah, apart from the fact that the protagonists are twins and they've been separated, you know, there's not... It's not really the same conflict, though, because Donald and Douglas both had an accident and that's what caused them to stop talking to each other and being separated, whereas with Ben, it's more well, Bill and Ben, rather, it's more green-eyed jealousy. You know, one gets new buffers and the other one doesn't. I would feel that it goes further with that, with some of the narration even being the same. Because at the very
1: start of Twin Trouble, it talks about how Donald and Douglas do everything together. And you even Mm -hmm. mentioned that, Parry, on how that is a difference uh, in every other appearance up to their point of Donald and Douglas. Here with Mm. Bill and Ben, it talks about how they do everything together. In fact, even Bill says that they do everything together. Mm. And then you have got some falling out between them, whether it is an accident Mm. or green-eyed jealousy. You then have one of them exclusively working with one other side character, such as Duck or Mavis, where Mm. they both begin to insult and attack them, such as blowing dust all over Mavis, or mm. telling Duck the other, a line. Mm. <laughs> and then through carelessness, both fly back into a ditch on a three-track layout, just as then the other one arrives to go help them.
0: No one okay, will notice. Do you think
1: it might be the
2: same set, except they've just dressed it up differently?
1: It, it may be the same set. However, it's got so much different like ground
2: layer as well. Well that's what I'm saying. Like they just lifted the track up and then, you know, changed what was underneath and then changed what was around it and then put the tracks back down.
0: I'd believe you that. Know,
2: maybe. Bim bam boom, work done. I I would feel it would be a bit too much
1: hassle to keep the same track layout. Like maybe just keep the same three tracks, sure, but everything else, maybe it's it's mm. I I I dislike that accident. How I do like some parts of the narration. Such as where you find Bill, you'll find Ben. Where you find Ben, you'll find Bill.
2: The mm. bust my buffers, I think you have. Yeah. Um, yeah you got to then... love the banter, though, between Bill and Ben. I mean, we heard it in the clip there. That, that's And I heard it in Twin Trouble.
3: Oh. <laughs> I feel like... know, this, this was a clear case of, you know, like, hey, can I copy your homework? Yeah, yeah, just change the answer to
2: <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, just, just run it in
2: such a way so that it doesn't look
3: exactly the same
2: and it's, it's like okay I'll um, just substitute Donald for Bill and Douglas for Ben and Duck for Mavis and you know accident for new buffers and then voila you've got, yeah. you've got <laughs> guys guys story. I've got a hit film about a
1: giant lizard attacking a city okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's brilliant I call it Um, Deityzilla
2: I've got one, it's about A a Multi-billionaire who decides To start up his own theme park Which has cloned Dinosaur DNA they use to bring Dinosaurs to life, let's call it Billy and the Clonosaurus
1: (laughs) I've got another one here About some people that find A magical box with a phone That they can use to travel Through
2: time I've, I've got, that's a great idea, but mine—they use a DeLorean, except dress it up as like a kind of cool, futuristic time machine.
1: But
0: <laughs> this episode makes me note... tired. Yes.
3: <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> now, no, the thing is, I made a reference there because what was the last one that I was talking about? A box with a. You were talking about Trons Bill and Ted's time.
0: Excellent Adventure.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's what I, as well. I was actually, or Doctor Who. <laughs>
0: Depends but... where you come from.
1: This episode was originally going to be called instead of Buffer Bother, Bill and Ben's Excellent Adventure.
2: Oh, come on. No, and... that that's just lazy. Come on. Oh, like, I mean, honestly,
1: I would have loved it if they did that because it mm. is so blatant mm. renaming reference. However, Ben isn't there for over half the episode, so I can see why they got rid of it. So Bill and Mavis's excellent adventure. Uh... Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there's so many things about this episode. Like, like I mean, what even was that pit that Bill fell into? In Twin um, Trouble, we said it was a burn pit where they burnt old rolling stock. Yeah, hmm. it's a gravel pit, a cinder pit. It,
2: it, it's a floodplain. Is what it is. So it's this a flood this plane. this
0: is where Thomas and the Magic Railroad leans more into the canon, like the world of <laughs> the island of Sodor, <laughs> um, the, the, the 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 debris of the world. Like as the world is starting okay. to disintegrate and fall apart, the land mass starts to move, and that's like the land moving and melding into the Magic Railroad itself.
1: Y- 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 you Beautiful. see, Carty, I do like, like on a personal note, Thomas and the Magic Railroad. I do like it. But when he does that, <laughs> then uh, then my vengeance
2: for it grows. You just can't handle the truth.
0: Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs>
2: um, okay, so how many pop culture references have we made discussing just this story alone? <laughs> well, like, I mean, I've, I've, I've got more if you want. No, I think we should get back to the task at hand. So, okay. Buffer Bother, a.k.a. Bill and Ben's Excellent Adventure. Is it? It's, I mean... It's, look, I I think I might be the only one who believes this, but I think this is fun, honestly. And I enjoyed this story quite a bit. And yes, it's a carbon copy of Twin Trouble and this and that. But, you know, I I would happily watch this story on a loop. If if it just happens to be on TV or something like that, I will happily sit down and I will be fixated on what's happening. No, no. It's it's a humble episode, is what it It is. is. It is enjoyable and funny. Just
1: mm. like how Bill and Ted's excellent adventure isn't a copy of the idea of Doctor Who. <laughs> okay. I, I, right. I agree with you on that fact there on how this episode is copying from another idea.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, Within and the same universe as well. More, yeah. Same universe and making it wacky and kooky. Mm. That, that, that's the thing. What I do really like though. Is the alliteration in this episode. They mm. really lead into it. The fact Controller says that you've behaved badly, Bill. Mm-hmm. A- a- as Bill's has his accident. What I don't know about the accident, though, apart from the pit, is why are the front bumpers of Bill bent when if his back
2: buffers biffing badly behaved trucks backwards that caused them? Well, he was biffing the trucks beforehand, and that would have caused them to, you know...
0: He is ashamed mm-hmm. fair,
1: fair, but... Uh... The, the, his bent buffers are the ones that are the ones supposed to be replaced and we see them and they're the ones at the front, which means that they were the ones that were supposed to have been damaged. It's weird. It's weird.
0: He had a big night.
1: <sighs> his hair is a mess. There mm. is one really good thing about this episode, though. Mm-hmm. We haven't touched on it because I don't believe many people will realise it. hmm but this is the first episode not to feature any characters from the main cast or the Scarlowie Railway engines.
2: Aha, no? oh, uh-huh. yes. Yeah, so none of the mainline engines. No, yeah. well, I mean, Mavis works on Thomas's branch line, so maybe. I mean, yeah, this but, is but
0: featured Mavis on Thomas's branch considered... line.
2: Yeah, yeah. But Mavis isn't considered the integral cast,
1: you know, Mavis isn't the Steam team.
2: True.
0: Hmm. I okay. think that's about like yeah, uh, that's as much as we could say about it.
2: <laughs> I, yeah. I, I think so. Yeah. Um. Unless, Carty, you've got anything more you want to add?
3: the The biggest sin this episode commits in my in my book is we we get to see the the brand new buffers, but they are never seen again. Yeah, it's such okay, it's so such an, an inconsequential you- thing, and in in Thomas that, that happens a lot. But I don't know. In this particular episode, it just it rubs me the wrong way. It's it's very lazy, um, and yeah, it, I don't know. If maybe if if the buffers had translated into like later episodes, if there was like a development on that, sure, whatever. But it's
0: you could totally have like another like extension of that episode where like in a series seven story or in a later series six story. Um, Ben boasts his new buffers and, like, it becomes a point of difference and they're no longer twins and there's, like, an almost, like, an identity crisis there.
1: Right. Okay. One thing that really annoys me about the buffers is that when we saw them previously, they were damaged and broken. He didn't just get new buffers, but he got shiny, like, brass buffers, Mm. which are distinctly different And then not only do we never see them again, but it's like they went out of the way to make them as obviously there as possible. Mm -hmm. Not just any buffers, brand
0: new buffers.
1: Brand new brass buffers. After Bill and Ben badly behaved, biffing
2: trucks backwards. Mm. Backwards.
3: Yeah. So rankings. Yeah, yes. Rankings.
2: Um... I'm, I'm going to go last on this one because I think I'm an outlier okay. here. So, Okay, yeah. you're, you're going last. On that mm-hmm. then, I'd ask Denim if you could go first.
0: Four.
4: A four.
1: Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Okay. <sighs> listen, it is a fun episode. But there are so many things about it that I feel full, not just short, but short. Mm-hmm. It, it, it it's not a close attempt here. It needs a whole new rewrite. Maybe copying a much better episode as well.
2: <laughs> oh, oh,
1: set, twin Twin Trouble was good, but like not my first cho- choice if I want to copy an episode. Mm. And like, I mean, even the sets don't change. At least in Twin Trouble, they changed locations. Mm. It, it it's it's. You got very predictable dialogue. It's only good thing, I feel, apart from maybe one or two events, Mm -hmm. is the character development of Mavis being a more mature older sister Mm -hmm. character compared to herself in the past. So Mm.
0: (sighs) go on.
2: 3.5 yeah three point oh okay
3: um well carty uh i'm just gonna say two Ooh. Mm. this this one falls very low on on my radar for series six it's not one that i would ever go out of my way to watch and whenever it does come on 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 the dvd that i, I forget which dvd this features on i usually do skip it
0: mm.
2: okay uh well i'm gonna give it a six Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I, that doesn't I do baffle enjoy me. It. I, no, yeah. it's um. It, uh, honestly, it, it's fun. It's got a lot going for it, and it may be a carbon copy of a certain other story from series six, but I enjoy it, and it's still got many qualities.
1: Mm. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, it is enjoyable, mm. but it is. A stretch.
2: A stretch, you say? (laughs) A stretch Mm. to enjoy it, I feel. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm. Well, I stand by my score. I might even be tempted to, you know, bump it up slightly higher, but I won't. Bump it up just like I did with Rusty to the Rescue. No, no, no. um, I was thinking of a certain other story. This one from series two, but, you know, we we, we won't get into that right now.
1: (laughs) Oh, but... I'm afraid that is the end of all the
2: episodes that we are reviewing today. Mm, that it is, but we're not quite done yet because, Carty, I understand there is something very, very big that you've been ever so keen to promote.
3: Yeah, I'm working on a Wiggles film.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Whoa.
0: Yes. Whoa. You're coming to Australia to film the Wiggles? Yes.
1: <laughs> it, it, it's called uh, Get Wiggly with It. Da, 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 da,
3: if the words are out of my mouth. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm currently in, in the editing uh, stage of a, of a, how do I describe it? A documentary about how Thomas changed a bunch of grown men's lives, which mm-hmm. that's putting it not as poetically as it should be, but it's actually a, a very sincere film about, you know, growing up with Thomas and it never really leaving you and exploring why it never left you. And, you know, people from the show sort of give, give some input on it and be and give their takes on what the fandom is and you know where's the fandom going and not only that but how thomas has changed not just the fans lives but also the people who worked on the show like Hmm. you know the people who worked on the show are fans themselves so technically you know you gotta see what's going on with them too it's all it's a very it's gonna be a cute little documentary i think i am a little biased and (laughs) someone here may or may not be in it i don't want to give it away though yeah it's not like it's appeared in teasers or anything (laughs) Uh, but but yes
2: um
1: it's been a project that you first announced all the way back in the first of june 2019 um so it's been a massive project um and, and it's international as well you've got you know not only filming in america but filming in the uk as well and all over the world
3: yeah we um originally it sort of was focusing on the the eastern seaboard of 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 the us here and looking at at that group of people but then i sat down and looked at it and i was like no there's there's a bigger story to tell here and I, i realized you know the uk fan base is a little different the australian fan base is a little different we need to sort of get everyone's perspective here because when you think about it, like fandoms do exist all over the world. You've got Star Wars, Doctor Who, what, what have you. But I think most people do not expect there to be a worldwide Thomas fandom, and that's mm. the most exciting part: is telling people, like, yes, the people in Australia, like the people in Japan, people in Finland love it. Like it's yeah, it's everywhere. You can't escape it.
1: Mm. Uh, it, it I'm I'm really looking forward to it because it, it's something that. I feel we've been trying to explore a little bit in the podcast as well. And that is, you know, we are adult Thomas fans and we're going through each episode one by one, not only reviewing them, but slowly starting to figure out what Thomas has got for us and why we're here recording this podcast. And I think (laughs) on
0: that as well is that, like, there's a little bit of exposure from, like, the, the nonchalant, like, Thomas like, I, I guess, kind of onlookers who are, I guess, n- not too familiar with it, I guess, as a fandom. So it's always nice when we hear from those listeners who haven't invested into it um, as fans, but enjoy the podcast for what it is. So I think hopefully that yeah. the documentary does that as well. And I think it will. I think from what I've seen, it's definitely something special. Mm.
2: We are certainly all looking forward to it. Carty, the big question is, when can we expect
3: to see this documentary? Uh, give me, give me five years. No, um, <laughs> listen. So we, we we should have been done way, 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 way much sooner. You know than, than we're at right now. Hmm. Um, we wanted to do fall, but shooting in Australia has become a little bit more difficult. So it's been hard to get that sort of rolling. Um, I. Yeah, I I wanted to give the I wanted to get the film out by Christmas because I think it would be a great treat. You know, I don't. I feel like it would be bad to end this year on. Well, we got all engines go. We got that going for us. It's like mm. no, we, mm. we need we need one nice thing this year, and I think this film could be that for, for Thomas fans. Um, a
1: Christmas miracle. Yeah,
3: it, it, it would be a Christmas miracle. to Get all that footage cut together, but by by that time, I, I don't know. I want to say, you know we're looking into maybe a spring 2022 like at, at the latest oh, sorry, simply it's because more spring our autumn essentially oh <laughs> right um but but yeah because we're, we're in the editing process right now and there's really not a whole lot left to even shoot it's just a matter of going getting through yeah getting it mm-hmm. done and there's yeah there's only one editor and that's that's me Mm. Wow, a mammoth undertaking for, uh, as
1: I've written it down An internationally made feature length documentary Looking at the impact of Thomas the Tank Engine upon the adult fandom A mammoth undertaking for you to
0: direct and film and edit mm. Yeah, you've gone through the whole process, which is beautiful um, I can imagine from a, a filmmaker's and a documentarian's uh, perspective That's um, yeah, it's quite touching to be a part of that
3: Yeah, it's
2: been been fun. And one last question I have for you, Carty. Once the documentary is released, no doubt there'll be lots of stuff to talk about, lots of stuff that um, we are yet to see that we'll be really excited to see. Would you be open to returning to our podcast to talk
3: about the documentary again once it's released? Absolutely. And hopefully I will have a nice bottle of wine in my hand and we can all just sit back and celebrate yes we'll we'll, we'll just open up a little like
1: chat room a lounge and be like yes yes just come gather around we're just going to celebrate here to (laughs) a unlikely documentary
0: (laughs) (laughs) beautiful until then that brings us to the end of another episode of ryan and track cardi thank you so much for joining us
3: thank you for having me and stay unlikely
0: cardi if we want to find you on your socials where can we find you
3: you can find me on any social media platform at cardi cinema cardi like cardi b but spelled with a y and then the word cinema and you can also follow an unlikely fandom on every platform at unlikely fandom and if you want to get in contact with us you can reach out to us on
2: our social media you can we've got our Facebook page which is at right on track Thomas podcast you've got our instagram at
1: TTTE underscore right on track
0: and you have our <whistles> Twitter at on track Thomas
2: <laughs> you also have our Gmail right on track Thomas at gmail.com mm-hmm. and there's also our official right on track website which is right on forward slash podcast
1: and you can chat to us there whilst you wait for the next episode and what we'll be talking about next time Parry
2: okay so in our next episode of the Riot on Track podcast we'll be talking about the stories Toby had a little lamb, Thomas Percy and the squeak, Thomas and the jet engine and we might have a surprise or more lined up for you as well you so never we'll, you know, know keep an eye on our socials but, but-
0: <laughs> Until that time comes, I've been Denim.
2: I've been I've Connor. Been Ari. <laughs> I've been Connor.
0: We'll get there one day.
2: And and this has it- been the Right On Track podcast. Thank you once again, Carthy, for joining us. Thank you, everybody, for listening in. Farewell. <laughs> Adios, guys.
0: See you later.